Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today, uh, reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24 through uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 2. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and, and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of, fourth part of a cab of doves dung for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried, cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord will not help, help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king answered her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and, we'll, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but, but, the messenger arrived, but as the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer was sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet right behind, behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seal of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seals of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain, then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. This is God's word. So uh, we're really glad to have a number of godly men uh, who have been a support and encouragement to Mac over the years, and we've had the opportunity to hear from them uh, over the last few weeks, and so it's my honor and privilege to be able to introduce to you the Reverend Pastor Terry Robinson. Uh, he is a pretty regular visitor around here. We usually hear from him at least once a year, uh, although I'd love to hear from him a little bit more often. Uh, but unfortunately, he's too busy. He's busy working for Crew. Uh, he and his family have been connected to Crew for now, I believe, 40 years as of this year, right? Congratulations. Uh, what, a, what a testimony of service. Um, I'm 30 years old, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, we're just really grateful to have him. He brings a wealth of experience and wisdom to our church, uh, not just serving on the ground uh, through crew, but bringing with him the training from uh, Moody Theological Seminary, where he earned his MDiv and continues to serve on the advisory board there. Um, so, uh, Terry, we're just so grateful to have you here, and, and we're really looking forward to hearing what the Lord has to say through you. Um, so if you wouldn't mind coming up, I will pray for us and uh, we will, 
we will examine scripture together. Father, I pray for my brother here. So grateful to have him uh, before us. Would you allow um, the eyes and ears of this congregation to be opened? Would you allow us to listen humbly, carefully, thoughtfully uh, to what you have to say through uh, Pastor Terry? Amen. Well, good morning, MacAv. It is always a pleasure to be with you. And um, as uh, Jonathan shared, yeah, we've been just celebrated 40 years with crew, uh, with my African queen, lovely Janice, um, and said, stand up, sweetheart. Let, let them see your beauty. Uh huh. And alongside that, we have two of our grandkids uh, with us. They're Parents are on a little vacation, so we are uh, always glad to have them with uh, Caleb and Cherish as well. So it is uh, it's good to be here. And yes, I am an OG. Yes. <laughs> One of the uh, original ones here. And I want to just uh, thank, uh, again, um, Pastor Stevenson and elders for allowing me to come and share with you. You know, one of the things about being around for so long I can remember when Mac Avenue Community Church was just a vision uh, in the heart of a young man named Eric and uh, his wife, Sarah Russ, talking about coming to Detroit and thinking about playing the church on the east side <laughs> uh, and uh, just kind of praying with them. And then I get to see, I've watched you over the years, I don't know how the Lord has answered that prayer, but to see all that God has done to his glory. So. It's just it's so it's so great for me just to come and be on the sidelines and be a great cheerleader and provide whatever I can for you. But thank you so much, MacAv. Amen. Okay, well, I was supposed to get up at 606 according to the schedule that I mean 1106 and it's 1117 now. So I, I got a book here if we're gonna stay on schedule here. Um, but uh, you see the reading of the of the um, of the scriptures here. And the title of my message this morning is Hard Times, A Hot Temper, and a Heavenly Truth. You know, as I look around here, there are three kinds of people in this auditorium here this morning. Just having, just in your prayer time, I know there's some who are actually going through some hard times right now. That's one. But there's also a set of you who've just come out of some hard times, maybe earlier this year or sometime last year, where it was really a rough, a lot of suffering, adversity. And then there's a third crowd, third group, those of you who are about to go through some hard times uh, here in the future. And so I think this message indeed will be uh, pertinent to, to all of you, even for myself. This year, I have experienced uh, some physical challenges I've never experienced before. I was back in April, diagnosed with interstitial lung disease. And it is a, a complication of the scarring of the lungs caused by inflammation that really affects your breathing. And uh, to a point where you've probably seen people who have to go on oxygen full time. And this was back in April, and I've been going through treatments uh, since that time. And it Prayerfully, we've been praying that uh, the Lord would uh, turn this around and that inflammation began to diminish. But I know, but this is really difficult, even hard for me, uh, this, this whole year having the surgery 
and going through recuperation and even now having some issues with uh, heart and AFib, uh, which was a result of that. And just to say that, I'm, I'm with you. I know, uh, as I say, we all go through, indeed, uh, hard times. But you know what? Um, I have discovered that, you know, hard times, God allows this not only to just to develop our character, which is kind of like being in the gym. You know, when you go to work out, uh, you have, uh, some of you, I'm sure if you go to the gym, you have your headband, you got your sweats, you got your tennis shoes. And wouldn't it be kind of ironic, you know, you go to the gym and uh, you go in there and you pick up some, some, uh, oh, some, uh, some weights there and uh, you sit down and you do about four curls. One, two, three, four. And you go, that's enough. And you leave. <laughs> that really wasn't a workout, was it, huh? You know, I found out that, you know, God has a spiritual gym for all of us. He uses to develop our character. But, you know, most of the times we don't really like to just voluntarily go to God's spiritual gym. So he brings the gym to us in the form of adversity, in the forms of hard times, uh, in forms of difficulties, so that he might be continued to develop us into the image of his glorious son. And so, but also God allows hard times Sometimes to demonstrate just his miraculous power. There's an old gospel singer, late gospel singer named Andre Kraut said that, you know, if I didn't have any problems, I would never know that God could solve them. <laughs> I would never know what faith in his word could do. And so God wants to take the just off the written page and let you see that, yes, he is a great God. He is a provider. And then sometimes, you know, God allows hard times to discipline us. Excuse me, when there's correction, when there's sin in our lives. And, and so this morning, I just want to uh, come, really come by to remind you about, you know, how do we sustain hope in the midst of hard times? And we're going to look at a, at, a, at a situation in the Old Testament. Probably none of us will have experienced hard times like these. But yet, I think there are some great principles here that we can use for today, even though it happened over 2,000 years ago. But the principles are just as relevant today. So with that, um, let's take a look at, um, indeed, our, our scriptures this morning. And just a little bit of background. The second king describes how a nation was banished uh, into exile, both the northern kingdom and the southern king because of their rebellion of God's people. But God sends two prophets, Elijah first, and then Elisha, able to, uh, able to try and reach out to his people one more time before, indeed, the northern kingdom falls. And there's um, the king there, who's presently in this passage, King Jehoram, was the son of Ahab. And Ahab, if you know anything about the Old Testament, is one of the most wicked kings of all of Israel. Matter of fact, it says there's no one who did as much wickedness, who, who, was, who, was, uh, who was so evil as Ahab. Well, this is his son. And guess what? Like father, like son. He is in rebellion as well. And, and prior to this uh, chapter 6, verse 24, early in chapter 6, 
the northern kingdom of Israel had an enemy called Syria. And they had come in to constantly sending, you know, little Taliban's or whatever little, little, little guerrilla warfare into Israel to try and, and, um, and raid them. And so one of these raids, though, they surround Elisha and his servant. Uh, they're there and he sees all these forces surrounding the house and he's really concerned. And God prays and says, I mean, Elijah prays and says, God, open up his eyes. He might really see reality. And he opens up his eyes and sees all of these angelic forces. And then Elijah prays that God would blind the Syrian army and they lead them right into the heart of the northern kingdom of Samaria and where King Jehoram is. And Elisha says, you know, he says, what, what should I do? You want me to kill him right now? Elijah said, no, feed them, give them food and water, bless them and send them home. Kind of like what Jesus says, do unto your enemies, we are to love them. And when so doing, you reap heavy coals upon them. And so you would think, though, that they would be really blessed and would never bother Israel again. Well, that's not the case. And that's where we pick up here in uh, verse 24. So it's now it came about to this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all of his army and went up and besieged um, Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cattle of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. I'm going to first look at three things here real quickly this morning in this passage. Number one is, if we're going to sustain hope in the midst of hard times, you need to understand the anatomy of hard times. Understand the anatomy of hard times, that it affects us both economically, socially, and spiritually. Notice, indeed, the three areas, economically, the food. It says that uh, when he besieged Samaria, it means that they were on lockdown, that no one could come in, no one could come out. That's how armies did it back then. <coughs> and the siege was so uh, was so bad that uh, economically, now I don't know about you, but a donkey's head. Now, in the Old Testament, the donkey was considered to be one of the unclean animals. You couldn't eat it. And yet things had gotten so tight, there was no more chicken, no more turkey, no more beef, no more pork, no more Vienna sausages, no more spam. <laughs> I mean, it was rough, <laughs> That a donkey's head, which, and that's probably the least part of the animal that you want to eat, it says was selling for about 80 shekels of silver, which I think uh, comes to roughly a day, it'd be about $450. It was rough. And then it says uh, 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 a fourth of a cab of doves dung. That means, takes talking about not only was the food really high, but the fuel. That's what they were used. You got to have something to cook the donkey's head to make the fire. Usually we have just wood or straw, but all of that was gone. So that even just dove's dung was selling for about $85. And so economically, things were really tight. 
But also, not only was things bad economically, but also socially. Let's look at the next uh, verses, uh, 26, 27, 28. It says this. Yes, now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today. We eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. In the anatomy of hard times, not only does it affect people economically, but it also affects them socially. Friendships begin to really ravel, come apart. You know, the story is told of uh, these two gentlemen who were out in Colorado camping, and they were doing hiking. And about oh, 100 yards down the road, they saw this big, huge grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear saw them, and it started charging them. And so they immediately, you know, they started running, trying to, and uh, about, no more than about, oh, 30 seconds into the run, one of the guys stopped, took off his backpack, pulled out his tennis shoes, and started to take off his hiking boots, put on his tennis shoes. Another guy says, you think that's going to help you outrun that bear? And he said, bear? I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. <laughs> Some of you will get that a little later here. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is hard times tends to affect relationships among friends. Now, it is inconceivable that a mom would be that hungry that they would actually even think about eating their own son cannibalism. But you know what? It's amazing. Even here today, I look at things that I thought would have never happened. I could have even conceived even when back when I was a a much younger man in terms of what people are doing to one another here in the hood. The relationships that are fractured, the crime that takes place, the viciousness of how people uh, just get in a fender bender in a parking lot and somebody gets out and takes you out because of a fender bender. Or maybe just because of road rage. Yeah, it happens all the time. And people are in difficult, hard times here. And so it affects indeed our friendships here. And relationships, we're going through things that we tend to, we get short tempers and, and, and even you know, people that we are committed, even as Christians sometimes, we can get on one another. And it causes uh, adversarial roles, indeed, when we're going through difficult and hard times. And then in verse 30, it says this, When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he's passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold... He had sackcloth beneath on his body. In understanding the anatomy of hard times, how it affects us economically, just in terms of you know, how, we, how we live and move, but socially, in terms of our relationships, but also it affects us more importantly, probably the most, spiritually. Spiritually. Here he is, a man who's really a pagan, an ungodly king, 
And the Bible says, indeed, that in some ways it had gotten so bad that even though publicly he would not wear sackcloth, which is what usually people would do when they want to express grief, repentance, mourn, he has it under his clothes there. But it's like even one of the most, even the heathen king is affected and realizes that indeed he needs to do something. I need to start either going to church or start getting religious. But at the same time, indeed, um, he goes on in, in, the, in, the, in the chapter there, and he says, verse 31, May God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders. Once we begin to understand the anatomy of hard times, then we need to unbuckle ourselves from the afflictions of hard times. What do you mean? That when we're going through hard times, one of the two, one of two feelings tend to really crop up. Fear, where we begin to not trust the Lord, we become scared or scared and we become fearful that God has forsaken me or he's not going to come through or we become angry at our situation. Here the king here is very angry. And when anger begins to take over, there's a couple of things. I call them afflictions that come our way. Number one is we have a lack of discernment that when we're angry, and we're focused indeed on our situation, whether it be at others or at God, it allows us not to think clearly. Now, he thinks that Elisha is the problem why all of the hard times are taking place. He's blaming the wrong guy. It's your sin, Jehoram. It's the rebellion of Israel is why this has come upon us. And I think about in our world today, all of the chaos, with all of the calamity that's happening down on the borders and what's going on in our country, and most people think it's about politics, and it's about the president, or it's about you know, our government. And yes, that probably made some fault, but really and truly, the problem, major cause, is always spiritual. It always is something that is going on in the spiritual realm, in our relationship with God, whether individually or corporately as a country. And so we got to be very careful that when we give in to anger, we begin to lose a sense of discernment as to the real causes. And we begin to look at and blame others. Not only there's a lack of discernment, but also, if you keep on, it says uh, in uh, let's see, verse 32, it says, Elijah was sitting in his house. I like this. <laughs> in the midst of everything that's going on, the man of God is sitting there chilling. And the elders were sitting with him. So now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, 
Elijah said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold the door fast against him. And verse 33 says, and while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? You know, another affliction that we have to be careful that um, buckle ourselves from is not only lack of discernment, but discouragement. Mm-hmm. Discouragement. When you're going through hard times and you've prayed, others have prayed, you've done all you can think you can do, and then there's still no deliverance, become discouraged. And, after, and that, here you see the messenger says, you know, hey, don't bother. Uh, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? You know, when I was diagnosed with uh, this disease and I began to read about it, and I saw that probably, I think it said about a, over 100,000 people die from this disease every year. And uh, I'll be quite honest, uh, for me, that was the fear. That was some disillusionment in my life. So, God, I mean, almost 40 years I've been healthy now. Why now? Why now? And I was thinking about, you know, I want to see my grandkids go up. And uh, while there, you know, I just sometimes I've come to really discouraged when it just wasn't seeing results and things happening. And again, uh, that's one of the natural afflictions that we have to indeed pray and ask Lord to unbuckle ourselves from, not to get us attached or, to, or, to, or to, it gets his, his claws in us and it weighs us down. And then uh, one more here. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. But Elijah said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seed, a seed of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seeds of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God and said, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you should see it with your own eyes, but you should not eat of it. One other affliction, lack of discernment, discouragement, and probably the biggest one is doubt. Doubt. I just cannot believe or trust that God's going to come through or deliver me get me out. This captain, when Elisha announced that, now you know what the famine was, a donkey's head is selling for $443. And now he's saying that, let me put it in and say here, here in modern terms, that you're able to buy filet mignon steak for $1 tomorrow. <laughs> no way! You cannot turn around that quickly. And so the captain says, I don't care if God will open up the windows of heaven and it flood down rain so that in the midst of this drought, that could never happen. And Elijah says, you're going to see it, but you'll never get a chance to experience it. And we'll see this, what happens. Here's the last point. We have to utilize 
the answer for hard times. And the answer is very simple. There's nothing, nothing uh, really uh, super spiritual about it. When um, he said, listen to the word of the Lord. Sustaining hope comes from God and his word. It's nothing, it comes from God and his word. And so when I'm going through, I had to get back into the word of God, not simply focusing on my circumstances. Yes, I realize what doctors are saying. I realize indeed what, what disease is all about. But I have to place my trust in the Lord. Psalm 62 days says, trust in the Lord at all times. God knows I can come here and worship and sing songs on Sunday morning when I'm healthy, when uh, the job is going well, when there's money in the bank. But can I still say that God is good when I'm going through hard times? Trust in the Lord at all times, oh people. It says, pour out your heart to him. So I began to do that, just weep and to cry and to share my fears, yes, some of my anger. And then it says, I think someone says, God is a refuge for us. Refuge means he's a safe place. It's a, he's a safe place. And so amazingly, you know, when, um, when, they, got to, when, when, when they did the biopsy on my lungs and it came back and it said, so Robert, we got two, two injuries here that one of them we don't really see very often. Uh, matter of fact, I'm telling you, it's rare that we see this. And, uh, and then my pulmonologist says, but you know the funny thing is that even though the biopsy says you got these two injuries, we're not able to find it actually in your system, in your body, based on all of the work we've done. We can't see it. It's just not there. It's not showing up yet. And so it's been 50 days, and they still cannot find it. And so, praise the Lord, they're just dealing with the, uh, with the inflammation, and the inflammation is coming down, and I can breathe a whole lot better now. Amen. Here's the thing, but even if it didn't get back, would I still praise it? Can I still come and say that, that uh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, God is a good God. And so it says, trust in God and his word. Trust in him at all times. That's the only answer. And so whether, and so whether God would deliver you, one way or another, he's going to deliver me. Either physically or I'll be in glory. But deliverance will come. But in the midst of this hard times, don't let the hot temper, the anger, the fear, but trust in that heavenly truth. And many times, God brings us to our, our extremities so that he can show forth his power in a way that will never, ever forget or remind us, indeed, that there's nothing too difficult for God. And so for time, was, I, I won't take it, but you can read the rest of the chapter, how God brings this about. Is amazing. He uses four lepers, four homeless guys, who actually brings about this miracle. 
as they, they kind of debating, you know, if we, if we go into the capital, we're going to starve. If we stay out here, we're going to starve. If we go to the camp of the enemy, all they can do is kill us. So either way, so let's just hang out there. When they get to the Syrian camp, it's totally empty. God calls them to hear what they thought were uh, mercenaries that Israel had hired. So they, they left, they booked, they, did, they left everything, all the clothes, all the food. And so these guys are going through the camp, man, I mean, eating and drinking, having so much fun. And they thought, you know what? We're not doing right. Our Israelites are there starving, and we got all this food. And so they run to the capital, say, hey, man, the camp is empty. Come on out. And uh, first the king sends out a little scout, make sure that it's true. It is. And the people rush out. Uh, and exactly what he said, the next day the prices went down. And the captain who said, if God opened the windows of heaven, the Bible says he was standing right there at the gate. And because the people was rushing so hard, they ran right over him and he died. Exactly the way the man of God says. But application, let me close. A couple of things I want you to think about. Number one, um, consider the cause. If you're in hard times, if you just come out of hard times, or you're really going to go into hard times, consider the cause. In other words, uh, is it, uh, remember I say it's always spiritual, not earthly. The gospel informs us over and over again that we live in a fallen world. Our conditions are the result of sin and only curious forgiveness and wholeness found in Jesus Christ. And so we have to, you know, and anytime, I'm not saying that every time we go through hard times because of our sin. No, don't, don't get that. But I think that we need to consider, though, what is God saying to me? What is it that he wants to do in my life to draw me closer? What area in my life that maybe needs to change? Or what particular, maybe, it may be even some idol in my life that I didn't realize is there that I need to let go. Secondly, check your attitudes. Don't play the blame game. It just leads to criticism and judgment. Our prayer should be, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the everlasting way. And so check your attitude. Make sure, because it's so easy to begin to blame others and to criticize because of the hurt and pain that we're going through. Thirdly, cling to the promises of God, his word. In fact, the memory verses I gave was Psalm 62, 8. Yes, Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge indeed for us, a safe place. But get back indeed to the word of God and his promises. Fourthly, commit to loving and caring for others. You know, in the midst of hard times, it's where you got to up your game in terms of Giving of yourself, of sharing. I want to be a blessing. Because the tendency is that when I'm hurting, I, I, just, I just shut down. I encourage you just maybe to think of one thing each day. What can I do to be a blessing to somebody else? Just simply maybe a phone call. It may just be a simple 
uh, uh, a hug or, or maybe able to do something, but just one thing so that you get your mindset just off of your troubles. But, but as we have, this is how I know I trust in the Lord. I'm going to do the next thing to be a blessing to give, to share with somebody indeed in, my, um, in life. And the last one is simply this. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Don't be afraid, like David, just to share what your, your hurt, your fears, your pain. It's okay. God already knows. And he can take it. And he'll take that, those tears and make a salve for your soul. I'm a witness to that. And bless you when you cry out to him. Uh, when I was out in Colorado a few weeks ago for a cruise annual staff conference, and a lot of people said, Man, don't go, don't go, don't go. You're, you know how you're breathing is, you got interstitial disease, and don't, I mean, I wouldn't do it. And yet, you know, I said, my wife has just been so, such a great, loving partner, spouse, soulmate, waiting on me. I just said, you know, she needs a break. I know there's a big opportunity for her. She won't have to cook. She'll be with her friends, and we're able to enjoy the fourth anniversary. So the doctor said, hey, yeah, you can go. Just don't do anything stupid like, you know, climb Mount Everest or something. But uh, you can go. So we went. We flew out there an hour after getting off the plane, getting a rental car, and making it to Fort Collins, Colorado. I felt like I was about to die. <laughs> it was 103 degrees. And of course, the Fort Collins at 5,000 feet elevation above sea level. Detroit is only 600, okay? And um, I was about to fall out. I said, oh, I've made it. Terrible mistake. <laughs> and uh, Lord Willie, I mean, he graciously brought one of our staff friends with Korean City, came by and helped us move our luggage in and got into the air-conditioned dorm there. I laid down and I just like, you know, I chill until I could get, get my breath back. But then while we were there, I think the second or third day, one of the, uh, our friends who I went through a leadership institute with uh, a couple years ago said, Terry, here you have interstitial lung disease. I said, yeah. She says, I had the same thing. I said, what? She said, four years ago, I was diagnosed with interstitial lung disease. And it was tough until she said, you know, I came across this pulmonologist. She's in, she's in California, in L.A. And uh, he took me off of this one particular medication I'm on right now, put me on another one, and I'm in remission. He says, I don't know, but I guess maybe I'm supposed to be here to tell you this, but here's his name, and, you know, if you ever need him, but I, the Lord has healed me completely. And so just last week, we were, two weeks ago, when I went in to see my pulmonologist, and he said, you know, we're getting ready to take you off of this medication, this, this prednisone, and there's another one we want to try. Guess what? It's the same exact one that she was on. <laughs> Trust him at all times. Pour out your heart to him.
he's a safe place. Let's pray. Father, thank you indeed for um, MacAv. Thank you for those who've heard the word. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would apply to where each people are, those who are either in hard times right now, those who just come out of it early this year, or maybe those who are about to go in. May they remember the answer, very simple, lies in you and your word. May we cling to your promises. May we check our attitudes when we're going through it. May we continue, though, Lord, to be givers, but be generous. And that God allow you to do the miraculous for your glory and for our growth. In Jesus' name, amen.